0: Welcome everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. My next guest is Jeff Burns, an adapted tennis professional who retired from competitive tennis play in 2019 with a world rank of number 4 in his classification. Jeff has spent his life in pursuit of advocacy for Athletes in Adaptive Sports. It is my pleasure to introduce Jeff Burns.
1: Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, Rick, how's it going? Thanks for uh, having me on today. Looking forward to talking.
0: It's great to see you, man. I'm so happy that you were able to carve out some time for us out of your schedule. Um, I know you're in Texas at the moment, and I'm assuming it is super hot where you are.
1: Yeah, Uh I think most of the USA right now is cooking, but, um, yeah, we're, uh, staying indoors or taking advantage of the pool and getting out when we can. So, but, uh, yeah, it's good to see you and, uh, really appreciate kind of just, you know, in our conversations leading up to coming onto the show, uh, admire what you are uh, doing and using your voice and helping to, uh, expand uh, the uh, region audience for uh, amputees in the adaptive community. So happy to be here, man. And uh, yeah, Hey, let's talk.
0: No, I, I I appreciate the kudos, my friend. Um, Yes, this is, this is about awareness. This is about us bringing these stories forward and showing the world that amputees are incredibly powerful people. And, um, you know, personally, I, you know, for obvious reasons, I, I find these stories fascinating. Yours uh, in particular, you know, given the fact that I am an amputee uh, as of late, and what I mean by that for only about six years, I am very fascinated with people like yourself, because your amputee journey has essentially been your entire life. I would imagine... Becoming an amputee, I believe, at two years old, you do you even remember a time when you weren't an amputee? Aside from pictures, maybe.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm Jeff, and I just it's just like you know these days. Like, how do you identify yourself? Or oh yeah, how yeah, how do I it's confusing, uh, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like Jeff, yeah. uh, check there, yeah. Um, it, that's always been something. And to, to be honest with you, growing up, um, you know, I started to notice I was different than other kids, maybe, uh, when I was younger in elementary school. And, um, that's when I like started to notice that, you know, Hey, I wasn't, you know, or I, I wasn't, uh, the, uh, only color Skittle in the pack kind of thing. You know sure. what I mean? Uh, but, uh, I became self-aware and, just past that. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's just been my life and it's been an extension of my life. And, um, I've actually, uh, viewed it as, um, now I'm in my later years, a uh, blessing. Cause it's allowed me to do some amazing things that, um, I probably may have not uh, been able to do. Um, if, you know, I hadn't, uh, had been born this way.
0: Sure. No. And I think, when I put myself in that space of what would my childhood have been like if I had limb difference, because as a kid myself, I sort of focused a lot on what made me different, you know, from other kids. Um, Even though I had my limbs, it was something that I would sort of examine. I was a thoughtful kid. I was a sensitive kid. And if there was anything about me, you know, it could be hair color. I mean, just something different. It it always kind of fascinated me. So I think when I look at amputees like yourself and what you've gone through in a lifespan, I, I guess there would be sort of what you're describing this this acceptance in a sense of I'm I'm just Jeff. I'm it's yeah, yeah. it's not really about you know my limb difference as it is this is just who i am this is who i've been right. my entire life and going from a below the knee to an above the knee i believe at 9 years old what i guess two two part question what was the what was the reason that you ended up above the knee but also given that you were older a little bit older at that point maybe a little more like you mentioned, self-aware, a little more reflective, you know, what was that experience like once you realized, okay, well, this is going to change, you know, to some degree.
1: So what's the, what's your audience here? How how do you want me to keep the language? Are we, uh, 13? Uh, uh... I think, I think we're,
0: what do you, Brian, what do you think? PG 13 at this point? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, no. So yeah, for me, um, I remember growing up and uh you know, kids would always kinda, you know, make fun, poke fun. Um, but I would always like kind of just like laugh about it, you know, because for the most part when I was below the knee, I remember like it was different when I lived in Ohio because I had a set group of friends that knew me from birth till eight years old or so. Uh, then I moved to Houston then I had to get introduced to a new peer group. So when I came to Houston, I remember being a below the knee uh, amputee and just we had to do like running, you know, the mile and I would be just like passing like able-bodied kids and, uh, you know, just, you know, laughing when I was doing it, you know, just, yeah. And
0: they're like, Uh, wow, look at that guy go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, and so, but then it was like, you know, yeah, they tried to pull my leg off at the same time on the playground. Like they would like drag me, you know and like because I could keep it on, but um my parents ended up ultimately making the decision to have my uh, leg amputated i'm a knee disarticulation um through the knee uh when I was in third grade, and we did it the summer uh that I was going into the third grade, so I wouldn't miss school, and so that way I'm able to bear uh bear more weight down on my patella yeah and um you know have a longer arm but uh I mean, I guess the, just the big difference was um, just learning how to run again. Uh, that was the tricky part. But as being a kid, you're always like, as kids do, we always like go out and, you know, if you're a parent or whatnot, you you watch your kids, you observe your kids, you 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 just explore, you do stuff, right? So I just taught myself how to uh, run. Um, at the time, and my first uh, above-the-knee prosthesis, actually, it was just the socket, and then it had, like, a strap on the back uh, that connected to the uh, lower limb in the foot. Really? And then that was the resistance. So it would, every time I would swing it, uh, it would clunk, clunk, wow. clunk. Wow. So, um, so pretty archaic had-
0: technology at the time, right? What was that? Pretty archaic at the time.
1: Yeah, no, it, yeah, it was, but it's been cool to, uh, you know, been able to live it and, yeah. uh, experience it and, um, yeah, just live it. But, uh, yeah. So then I, uh, went to a different practitioner and when I got to intermediate school and he uh, fitted me with my first, um, hydraulic, uh, knee for, uh, above the knee amputation and, um, that, uh, you know, from there, I just took off and uh, I was just another kid, you know. Yeah, but and, honestly, you yeah.
0: know, it's funny because the thing I, I I think I'm most curious about with people like yourself, and I know a few amputees now who have been with limb difference their whole lives, and the spectrum of technology in terms of uh, prosthetics that they have gone through, you know, from a young age, you know, through adolescence, into young adult, you know, um, you know, into fully matured adult, it's it's really remarkable. Um, and when I say remarkable, in, in some ways, it's uh there are certain things, you know, depending on practitioner, depending on, you know, company that you're dealing with, uh, whatever clinic you're using, whatever prosthetist you're using some things that are sort of stuck in the dark ages, but then there are sort of these like major advancements, you know? So you being an above the knee at nine years old and, you know, now being a man and having gone through all of the, uh, you know, major amounts of high functioning activities that you have. I I mean, you, you, you've seen a lot of technology and the birth of a lot of technology, wouldn't you say? Hey amputees, I'd like to take a moment to introduce everyone to the liner wand. We all know how bacteria and odor can be a major issue with prosthetic liners, and the liner wand is the solution. Did you know that if you're using soap and water, you may be making the problem worse? The liner wand uses a patented formula that deletes all bacteria and smells for two weeks the Liner Wand is available as an affordable subscription or individually and it always ships for free. To learn more, visit thelinerwand.com. That's t h e l i n e r w a n d.com. Use code 211, that's 211, and receive 50% off your first subscription today. You can also use the code rick R I C K and receive 25% off your cleanser subscription as well. That's the liner com. I mean, you, you, you've seen a lot of technology and the birth of a lot of technology. Wouldn't you say?
1: Yep. I've seen uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. Uh, There's a very, you know, we, um, make a very small, uh, congenital uh amputees are a very small percentage of the amputee uh, population as a whole if you would take it as a pie chart yeah uh, per se um so i've seen a lot of technology that's come out that's worked great um i've uh you know not everyone refers to uh you know sprinting feet now as uh you know blades running blades yeah. from uh, oscar But, uh, you know, back uh, when I was uh, running track out of high school, you know, I had uh, spring light and then flex foot. So there was just a bunch of different technology and uh, everything kind of developed it. But there was a huge boom that came after. um, And unfortunately, it comes at the uh, expense of others. But uh, research and development R&D with the Gulf Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's when things kind of really kicked up and microprocessor knees like kind of really started shooting off and taking off and different versions of different uh, knees and applications uh, started to become available. So, you know, you could uh, pick a different car, you know, that you wanted to drive rather than just, uh, you know, the two or three that you had prior models.
0: Sure. No, no, it's funny because, you know, so much of those technological advances you know, give many people like yourself the opportunities to do more, to perform better, to seek out, you know, uh, you know, more active spaces. I mean, you were, uh, from what I've read, I mean, you were an active kid. I mean, you were involved in a number of different sports before everything kind of funneled down to tennis, which you, you know, totally excelled in and became this, you know, trailblazer. But I mean, you were a really active kid. You were in a number of sports, correct?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, back then, I mean, now it's adaptive sports, which is great. And that's like, there's so many people that, you know, behind the scenes that have been for so many years, just doing countless hours of work. But um, yeah, I just ran around with my friends and we rode bikes and uh, played football, basketball, tennis, just you know I was real active, ran around with everyone um you know and then yeah uh it uh I would say uh just going into tennis um uh, it was different because you know in high school when I was competing against um I played on my high school tennis team, played against able bodied kids, and so uh you know I did have some issues there um you know, as far as like kids teasing me and now like that I'm older, I'm able to look back at things kind of and and, and process things. But uh, yeah, I had some issues. So. Yeah, you
0: you look at it different as an adult, as we all do on those childhood experiences that may have seemed very big. You know, they, 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 they sort of seem like this, you know, these massive events that occurred. And as you get older, you can sort of look at that in terms of its microscopic perspective in the grand scheme of your life and say, well, yeah, I mean, that stuff happened and I got through it. Um, you know, just talking about your childhood, you know, kids that are active. I came from that generation of kids where, I mean, we just weren't homebodies. I mean, we were never in the house. We were always outdoors. We were always riding our bikes, you know, um, just doing silly things, you know jump jumping off garages and doing all kinds of stuff that
1: yeah, I was doing those same things, yeah. yeah,
0: exactly, and you know so many amputees that I speak to, I think they tend to get into this space of well, I need the right technology, I need the right you know I need the right prosthesis, I need the right practitioner, I need the you know I need all the best of the best, and then I think about you know lifers like yourself lifetime amputees who come from these more archaic technologies before all these really cool things were available they were high functioning they were running around doing all these things that didn't necessarily require you know the best foot you know or the best microprocessor or the best whatever and somehow they muscled through it just by sheer will and really just wanting to engage activity. So when i hear someone kind of getting down on availability of technology, i sort of see that as okay, is that the the full story, you know? is it right. is part of it that you know, you're you're just not wanting it bad enough. Do you really want it bad enough? You know, because when I first became an amputee, I really struggled with skin breakdown. I I, okay. I I have a lot of bony prominence on my residual limb, and I I I was wanting to to perform. I was wanting to get back on a bike. I was wanting to get behind a drum kit again. I was wanting to do all these things, and I I was struggling. And yes, there were tweaks that were necessary uh, to my, you know, to my socket. But at the same time, I truly feel like so much of my advancement was kind of like up here. It was, it was a lot of mental, you know, just, just kind of getting past myself and getting out of my own way and saying, you know, you, you just got to try harder. You know, you got to stay focused. You got to stay in the game. All those other things are going to come. You're going to get the train up. You're going to get all the education that you need. You're going to find the right clinic. You're going to find all of that. But if your head isn't in the right place, you're never going to truly do all those things that you want to do. So getting back to my original point, which is, you know, some someone who's a child, and they just want to ride their bike and play with their friends they're not thinking about do i have the best foot
1: <laughs> they're just yeah they just you 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 go with the flow and uh you know you were talking about technology and so um and you know getting in your own head and i know for me uh you know being a lifer um what an impact uh technology has had in certain areas um is the feeling of like cuz sometimes it's just like you know, I I asked myself, like, what would it be like or what does it feel like or, you know, to actually be able to or I'd always question myself or I would look at people and study them and be like, OK, so am I supposed to run this way? Right. You know, so I would constantly be looking at people. But in high school, we had stairs that we had to get up, uh, you know, to uh, get around. Sure. And so we had to tuck in our shirts uh dress code right yeah and so my prosthesis my socket would always uh ride up high and I was real self-conscious so I actually got a note from my doctor and I was the only kid that was allowed to have untucked shirt uh <laughs> so I could scoot around but um I uh would go up the stairs and at the time it was just a hydraulic knee but I would you know grab the rail and I would boom you know like just like use my i right leg so I would you know, power forward with my left uh, leg up, and you know, use my handrail and just go up as fast as I could. But I was always so self-conscious of the kids that were behind me and what they were thinking. Oh, Am sure. I gonna fall? I never fell, but I would always think that in my head, like, please, Jeff, don't fall. You know. And then uh, going down the stairs that was difficult. So when these advancements in technology took place, um, you know, with the new R and D, you know, now I can go down step uh Or stairs, uh, step after step. So that's a really cool, like actual feeling. Yeah, and uh, it, it it's different, and it really you you have to soak it in and take some time because it's just like wow, this is what it's you know almost like I can go down. Yep. Step after step after step after step. I can walk backwards now. I can you know. Uh, yeah, there's run a to the side
0: no. You're right. There's, there's a there's down. a comfort that you enjoy, it's, it's almost like for someone like yourself that has been on that far end of the spectrum for you, it's such a, gosh, just like a, it's, it's, it's almost, I would think for you in a way, it's like, wow, this is, this is such a nice thing that I've never experienced because I've been doing this my whole life. So it's almost like a luxury item when you think about it, because it's like, I've been driving this, you know, I don't know, you know, two cylinder car. And now all of a sudden I'm, I've got this Ferrari and yep. you know, I can open it up and have a great time. So I would think all of those things are much more appreciated by someone like yourself. Whereas someone who's a brand new amputee, you know, cause I'll talk to someone and, and they'll say, I'll say, okay, well, you know, when was your amputation? Uh, It was about uh, six months ago. And I'm like, oh, okay. So what was your question? Well, how can you help me get a running leg? I'm like, what? (laughs) A running leg? You're a six-month amputee. Like how, who, uh, either you got a lot of money or you're living in fantasy land because you got a lot way much further way to go before anyone's gonna talk to you. You know, any responsible prosthetist is gonna talk to you about your running leg. I mean, let's get yeah. let's get you up, let's get you mobile, you know, let's get you functioning in in somewhat of a normal way and then, you know, build those plateaus, you know, from there.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I know uh, with me in my case that um Overall, I feel incredibly blessed that I've been able to experience what I've been able to experience, because some of these feelings and these experiences that I have been able to experience um, are not as available uh, or readily available to others as they should be. Yeah. Um. It literally costs an arm and a leg to get an arm or a leg. Yeah. No. No Uh, pun intended. So you know, it's uh, one of those where it's like, you know, hey, um, you know from my experiences in my life and what I've done, uh, this is where I'm at now. Like how can I use my platform or anything that I've done, uh, to be able to let someone else have that feeling or experience and be able to have the opportunity. I think the big word is opportunity that if given an opportunity to do something, uh, arises that the, that's, um, you know, the biggest thing to capitalize on and, um, you know, are those opportunities. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I was reading, uh, I can't remember where exactly I was reading about you and it described this scene, which um, was, was kind of vivid for me. It said you were, I I believe it said you were 18 years old. You were in your prostatist's office.
1: Uh, Shout out to Dan Morgan. Um, You know, I'm going to send him a copy of this, but that guy that is a practitioner, like anyone who wants to get into um, the field, uh, you do change people's lives. And uh, I always say, find a practitioner that works best with you. you, get a good relationship with them and you stick with them yeah. because they uh, get a very intimate um, in a relationship with you and know, you know, what your needs are so yeah dan morgan he uh, did wonders for me back in the days
0: no that's wonderful so you're 18 you're at his office and you're thumbing through a magazine and you're and you're 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 seeing these these high functioning you know amputees the these athletes and that was a moment for you where it was sort of a defining moment in your mind as far as what you wanted to do, you know, um, with your life moving forward. Can you describe that for me?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, that Yeah, that was the first time that I had ever heard of... Um, my dog is totally gnawing at a bone. I'm sorry if it's <laughs> messing up, uh, you know, audio. She, but she is, uh, she's my buddy. Uh, Tonka. Tonka you said? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, what yeah. an
0: awesome name for a dog. I love it.
1: Yeah. But she's just sitting here chomping at uh, the bone, but uh, yeah, but back to your point, um, when I saw that I was excited and it was, uh, you know, 99 and I was reading about guys like, you know, Earl O'Connor and, um, uh, uh, Marlon Shirley and, um, you know, all these other guys that uh, came before me, uh, Matt Smith. I mean, th- there's a lot of names I can throw out there, but, um, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like I can actually go out and compete against others like myself. Yeah. And so at the time, you know, the internet and things, what, it wasn't around. So I wrote a letter to Hanger Prosthetics and Orthotics and, uh, said, you know, Hey, um, their office, uh, at the time was in Um, Oklahoma Edmond and so uh, wrote a letter and said hey you know I'm very high functioning individual and uh, an athlete and I would like to see you know how do I get involved with this stuff so they told me to uh, you know fly over and um, Kevin Carroll actually uh, fitted me with a sprinting uh, prosthesis and um, at the time you know everything was still like kind of like really scattered not really well known it was mainly like track and field and kind of stuff like that and I never really was a track and field guy I, right. I was more of a, a basketball and tennis and you know court to sport guy but um yeah that's where I met uh, amputees for the first time in my life and it was a very defining moment um, that i that I had uh, during the two thousand one endeavor games and um, you know uh uh, Oklahoma I met uh, Rudy uh, Garcia Tolson, my buddy. Uh, he was up there. Um, uh, just a lot of people, and just to be able to exchange stories and just say, like, you know, wow, like I'm not alone. Like there's other people that are out there sure. that are like me. Like that was like really big in my own development because, you know, as I'm Jeff, but still always like something felt like there was a piece missing. Sure, you know, or. Uh, just wasn't whole, so um, you know, yeah. Just uh, being able to do that and experience that through sport, and some others, it may not be through sport, but through you know different channels, uh, was um, you know life changing for
0: me. No, I, I I think that's a really important point because so often when when I am contacted by amputees in a random kind of way, you know, just like through a DM or like a quick email or something. Right. It's yeah. usually because they're in what I would describe to be as sort of an alone kind of space, wanting to be part of community, wanting to feel that they are not alone and that there's someone else that is experiencing those isolated kind of feelings. And, you know, one of the things I really admire about, you know, who you are and your story and your life is, is, is that it is really built around advocacy and wanting, you know, that inclusivity piece where, and, and this is, you know, people with all types of, um, you know, uh, let's let you know for the sake of this conversation, let's call them disabilities. But th- you know, wanting to include those people with limitations uh, to be part of something bigger and better, and to normalize that and make people feel included. So, um, no, I I would imagine at that age, seeing you know high functioning amputees and you know having that aha uh-huh kind of moment. Where you go? Okay, this is this is something I want to do. When do you feel like tennis became the thing? You know, like this is this is my discipline. This is the thing that I'm going to focus on.
1: So uh, growing up, and I actually didn't learn this until like towards the tail end of my um, you know professional career and playing tennis when I was doing tennis, but. Growing up, uh, I used to play in summer leagues uh, for the USTA um, and other things like that against able-bodied kids. And, uh, you know, I was actually, you know, ranked, um, let's say above average uh, against able-bodied kids. But um, there was a lot of stuff that, you know, my parents kind of withheld from me uh, as far as that goes with tennis. Um, as far as making my middle school tennis team where yeah I wanna you know, I, I wanna stop you there. for a
0: second because I've read this somewhere I think you're alluding to a situation or maybe even a series of conversations where you were you were competing against uh other kids you know with with yeah. two legs and yeah. I believe there was sort of a movement that kind of, you know kind of bubbled up of you know Jeff is better than these people like why why yeah. is he not on the team like what's happening here
1: yeah I I, I didn't find that out until like the year uh, 2019 oh my gosh <laughs> but, but it happened <laughs> and uh you know 94 you know my mother and other parents you know were like yeah you know, hey Jeff is ranked higher like why is he not on the team right. and so uh you know but um, and is that
0: just built around yeah. stigma i mean is that just
1: yep so that all kind of just adds into uh you know um the foundational building blocks and uh just learning about life and kind of how you're perceived in certain uh areas but um you know going back to tennis and when i thought it was you know or wanted to move it into the thing yeah. um i had a really unique opportunity with Hang on and prosthetics and orthotics in uh, sprinting and swimming. Uh, now for me as a sprinter, I was okay. it uh, wasn't really my thing, but swimming was actually really good. I was just very self conscious at the time. I didn't, uh, you know, want to wear the little speedos that they had. <laughs> uh, and why not? It was it was <laughs> because, because it was like I was always used to people looking at me and I, whispers, and you know, like you would hear sure. things and. So it was just I had was just a little extra sensitive at that point. I didn't have anyone to say like, hey, Jeff, you're actually a really fast swimmer. You're beating the crap out of these other people, you know, and I didn't want to wear a Speedo when
0: I had two legs. So
1: (laughs) just 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 swim, just go, just do it. You know, I mean, I was doing some great things. So I missed an amazing opportunity uh, with uh, with that. And um, while I was going through college and then became a father and then I had some back issues and so then tennis I switched fully to that uh, just with um, after the back issues uh, to rehab myself and to get stronger and then I started learning more about okay adaptive sports are really becoming organized now and all these guys that I used to like compete with and they were my friends they were like all on tv and they're doing extremely well now and they had you know, great support systems. And they kept on following, you know, that path I didn't. And so then when I jumped back into, uh, adaptive sports, I was looking at tennis and I said, okay, well, I can play, you know, very well standing, uh, at a very, you know, high level. Um, but only wheelchair tennis was offered if I, uh, wanted to compete and, um, you know, make a lot of money and go off and get ranked and things like that. Sure. So, uh, you know, I approached the USTA, United States Tennis Association, and started talking. And then from there, um, I just linked up with some other people, uh, you know, around the world. And in South America, they really got things going down there. They call it Tennis de Pie, which is uh, Stand Up Adaptive Tennis um, in English. But uh, yeah, I just started from there. I just told myself, I was like, all right, Jeff, you missed one great opportunity. And so now you're
0: given a second chance. So I'm gonna so I, I'm gonna stop you there, um, because I want to do a deeper dive into okay. uh, that whole process of how I believe you're truly a pioneer of stand-up adaptive tennis. You're one of these people that was instrumental in in bringing that to the world stage. So we are gonna take a brief pause. And we are going to jump into a segment that we do uh, on every podcast. It's called Amps You Should Know. Hey, everyone. Today on Amps You Should Know, I'd like to introduce you to Isaac Ocelia. Isaac is a 30-year-old right below-the-knee amputee. Uh, He's been an amputee for about a year and a half, so relatively new to all of this. He actually lost his limb during a motorcycle accident. Really tragically, um, he actually lost um, that limb shortly after losing his mother to cancer. So um, you can imagine the heartbreak of of losing a loved one and then going through the trauma of being in a motorcycle accident and losing a limb. Um, he's definitely someone who I would describe as dealing with adversity in a very, very powerful way. I've spoken to Isaac on the phone. We've exchanged messages. Um, He actually reached out to me online. He had some questions about what it would be like or what I could recommend in starting a walking group in his area in California. Now, I found this pretty uh, extraordinary only because— He's pretty much a brand new amputee, and given that set of circumstances, losing his mom, going through a motorcycle accident, he seems to be anxious to give back, to give back to this amputee community. And only a year and a half in, I find that remarkable, that his mission is to get people out walking, get them active, and really just wanting to engage people at any level of fitness, whether they're in a chair, whether they're crutching, whether they're in a prosthesis or not. Um, He feels it's really important for people to stay active and get out there in the world. Um, Isaac is also a handyman, so he's very active. He's always on the job site, always pushing his body physically. Uh, He's just an incredible individual, um, has a really, really bright spirit and a great sense of humor. And... Isaac Ocelia is definitely an amp you should know. Hey, everybody. We're back with Jeff Burns. We've been talking about his life as an amputee. And now I want to start talking about his journey into bringing stand-up adaptive tennis to a world stage. Uh, Jeff is a trailblazer in that regard. He is someone that was instrumental in developing these programs and making the connection points that allowed things like the tap open to happen. So, um, Jeff, if you would indulge me, and although I've done quite a bit of reading on this, and I'm just, I mean, I'm fascinated by it because, you know, of course, um, playing tennis, standing up in a uh, above-the-knee prosthesis that alone is like kind of like wow to me. Um, and a lot watching
1: mechanics involved, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And you know, I've been a loyal follower of some of your video blogs, watching you train, watching you adapt in terms of movement, in terms of mechanics. The one thing that I wanted to say as well um, you know, it would be a disservice if I didn't to my father, big time tennis player. I mean, I, yeah, I grew up, grew up, um, around tennis. Um, my dad was an avid player and, um, he was pretty vicious on the court. Um, he took no prisoners, let's put it that way. And he was one of those, he was one of those people that, um, took up tennis later in life and eventually, uh, became sort of a dominant force in my family Uh, and he's a lefty. So that, that always threw me off to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he was just, uh, kind of a beast out there, but, um, walk me through it. So start at the beginning, you know, uh, as far as conceptualizing, you know, what you wanted to do and how that came about, you know, through your connections with hanger, through your connections with other people.
1: I'm actually looking for a tennis ball right now. Hold. On. <laughs> this uh this dog of mine. Come here. Okay. So, um yeah, just when I got back involved in tennis, it, it 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 kind of boggled me, uh, you know, my mind a little bit and um this is where I've learned a lot about myself as well and um uh learning to love myself and and, and value and like, you know, wow, you know. Hey, um I can do some pretty amazing things because for a little while I didn't think that you know what I could do was 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 great. I was just like, okay, well, yeah, I'm just this guy, but when I started looking at things then through a different light and um you know uh, saying like, hey, this can uh you know be uh used for a greater good of getting people involved and getting people um you know interested in a sport, uh that you know, I started to just ask questions and I think that's uh, one of the most important things to do. Just, you know, you question why, uh, that's the big, uh, question always is why. And so I question why are we, uh, not able to play tennis, um, professionally standing yeah. on a prosthetic leg or using orthotic devices. Right. And so when I started asking those questions, um, a lot of people, uh, Started asking why not, yeah, and uh, or saying why not, and uh, went, that went through the USTA. And then I linked up with some people in um, South America and in Europe and other places around the world. And so, just as far as like the creation and like everything with that, adaptive sports is still, I mean, now it's like really getting out there, but uh. With 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 tennis and with giving this other opportunity now, and you know post COVID, it's really cool because for a little while it was just centralized on, okay, South America, then we you know North America rocking it, Houston, you know uh, yeah. we started a or I started a tennis program in Houston that, um, 2014, and I started teaching kids and had some adult students come out, taught them traditional tennis rules. But the big thing was like actually, you know, trying to sell an idea because at the time people hadn't really, you know, thought about or they knew they had some exhibitions and they kind of knew a few things, but it's like, you have to be that person or you have to, you know, be, you know, an empty, uh, kind of to understand the footwork and the mechanics and everything like that to teach people you know, K-levels and, you know, all that good stuff that you learn as being an amputee, but the general public doesn't know they're not educated about. And so that, for me, was uh, very fulfilling, was to you know, being able to jump in there and do that and start that in Houston and really start the, uh, the first, you know, program in the United States. Um, yeah, Houston's Metropolitan Multi Service Center off of West Gray uh for um amputees and others that wanted to play uh, standing instead of uh, using a wheelchair played wheelchair tennis I think is great um but yeah now you know you can have the option to choose if you want to play uh, standing or uh, seated and it's going to continue to grow but Was it um, uh
0: was it difficult for you given that on the one hand you're trying to facilitate this sport you know you're trying to throw your flag in the sand and say this is something, but then also on the other end of it, I mean, you're competing. I mean, you're one of the, you're one of the athletes. So I always think to myself, you know, in organized sports, which is, is a massive endeavor because, you know, let's face it. there always, there's always money involved, you know, um, you know, you know, the, the powers that be will step in and say, well, you know, how are we going to make money off this? You know, how, how are we going to, you know, uh, monetize. And on the one hand, you have all these sort of dreams and ambitions for people to be able to appreciate this sport and the beauty of it. Okay. And the competitiveness of it. But at the same time, man, you're out there playing too. I mean, that's,
1: yeah,
0: that's a, that's a difficult equation. I would think for your, uh, for yourself as a young man,
1: yeah, so my uh, coach best summed it up, I guess, one day, where he said it's uh, tough to be the uh, the host and the hunter, you know, <laughs> right. at the uh, same time. But totally, it, it, you have to be welcoming to everyone that you know wants to come in, and you know, kind of, uh, you know, but right, you know, it's yeah. So you have to keep that in mind. So I always empathize any with anyone who is, uh, you know running a tournament and, um, fully immersed in that as yeah. well, because, um, and, and this just isn't with, uh, uh, it's not just, and this is the cool part. This is just not with adaptive sports. This was, you know, back in tennis, back in the day when women were trying to make, uh, yeah, I know. Movement with tennis and, um, you know, uh, Big people deal. Color, uh, Arthur Ash, they were all trying to make their movements uh you know with tennis it started the same way through exhibitions, yep and you're just putting yourself out there and so uh Cindy Benson, she's a great friend of mine. I remember twenty sixteen we had the uh first international tournament in um, the united states the uh u s a uh t a p open right. um and before I kind of walked out on the tennis court uh because I was like literally like everyone that I had met in south america they they'd never been to the u s a before so i was grabbing them from the airport and making sure, you know, like, uh, that they got to where they needed to go. And then we had interpreters that were, you know, speaking uh, you know, different languages and, you know, everyone was kind of just like blown away. Was there,
0: Was there? Now. I mean, the tap open, obviously a monumental event. W- yeah. So you're wearing all these hats in that arena, right? Yeah. You're, you're kind of like picking people up at the airport, you're organizing, you're talking. Yeah. And then, and then there's gotta be this moment yeah. where you say to yourself, Oh yeah, I got to play too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, cra- I mean, I, I, it's crazy. I remember. I, I remember going into that and um, and with me, my serve is one of my biggest, uh, you know, uh, spots to my game. Okay, um, or uh, pluses to my game. And so uh, I was practicing for a while, uh, just getting it down and making sure that it was solid. And I remember 2016. You know, everything was just, you know great on the money but as far as practice i didn't get as much practice as i wanted to before just you know we had players that were coming in and so you're busy
0: you're busy you know being an uber driver for the tournament
1: yeah (laughs) a a free uber driver or a uh yeah yeah and then just you um, gotta be thinking
0: this is getting this is getting insane like this is i'm all over the place i'm everywhere at once.
1: Yeah, but but to me, it, it it became more than tennis at that point because yeah. I saw people coming from a different country that had never been to America before. Yeah, and they were just so fascinated with the uh, seeing overpasses, really and, like, highways, and just taking pictures. And so, uh, you know, for me, it's like you know when I would travel to different countries, and I was fascinated with different things, taking pictures. I mean, they'd be taking pictures of that, and so. I got to experience that, and like that was like kind of started to take a little bit more precedent over playing as well, because it was like okay, like these are life experiences that someone's experiencing, and yeah. they're going to remember it for the rest of their life. They're having fun. We're making you know an experience, uh, a memory for people, right? But uh, yeah, I did wear a lot of hats, and uh, yeah, but I went out there and still, you know, gave it my all, and uh, you know, dressed. Dressed well and, uh, yeah, went out there and banged it around a bit, yeah.
0: No, it's it's extraordinary to me. And, again, you know, I think says so much about your character as a human being, as someone who is in pursuit not only of excellence in his sport, but also someone that is pursuing this advocacy for adaptive sports to say – this is something bigger than me. This is something that I'm going to be a part of. And this is something that I want to see get momentum. And right. you know, I was, I was watching um, a video blog that you did, and it really touched me. You were talking about the idea. It was, it was beautiful. You were talking about this idea of planting seeds. And it's a simple analogy but when you think about it it's not always so much about you know the end game with anything you know just like today this conversation we are planting a seed right just like those experiences that you went through as a player as an organizer as someone that was you know bringing these athletes over to this country to expose to the world You know, how powerful amputees are. Thousands of seeds were planted in that moment. And if we all take that personal responsibility in planting a seed or two every day, I mean, the world becomes a much better place. And, you know, I I always marvel at amputees that they immediately want to get into that space of giving back. Yep, and to me that is something that is just so incredible. I mean, it 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 took me, you know, because I I think what I want to say is sometimes because as an amputee we require so much self care, it can it can feel like somewhat of a selfish endeavor in that we're we're constantly managing, constantly managing you know, our limb, our equipment, you know, our, uh, you know, our ability to, to function in a consistent way. And that moment when you realize that advocacy and helping others and giving back to the community, those dividends are just huge, you know, because when, when you see that rebound and come back and people say, thank you you know thank you for doing that thank you for saying that thank you for you know i i get all these messages now you know thanks for doing this thanks for doing this and you know it's funny cuz i think you know i just kind of wanted to meet like all of my like heroes and idols you know like this is my like secret way of of meeting you and getting to engage you um but the good news is is we're doing some good in the process And someone is going to watch this and think about your story and what you've been through and what you've accomplished. And it's, it's just going to lift them to a whole other level, you know? And I, I, I think it's just a wonderful exchange. And I so appreciate, you know, what you brought, you know, to the sport and, you know, um, through all of your adversity, because I mean, you have definitely had, you know, your setbacks. I mean, you've had, you know, times when you were, um, in recovery that you were, uh, nursing, you know, different, um, you know, different setbacks. Um, I mean, do you want to talk about that at all?
1: Yeah. uh, Um, that's, so I've really, you know, with what we've been talking about, my life has been kind of segmented into three different parts yeah and so the first part, just being just growing up, identifying Jeff, hey, you know it's me, yeah, uh, you know, and then the second part, you know, kind of acknowledging, yes, I'm different, uh, I'm disabled, but I didn't feel different. People may have approached me uh, you know in a different way, and I may have you know kind of felt something you know from that. But I was able to hide things, but I just still always kind of felt the same way. Sure. And then I had some stuff happen with my spinal cord. uh, Spinal
0: meningitis, right?
1: Well, actually, so I was uh, born with um, and I contracted the tethered spinal cord syndrome. Okay. I have partial spina bifida, but I had a tumor that was uh, latched onto my spinal cord. And so when I was trying to grow up, it was pulling down. And mm. so they had to go in and cut the tumor out with the laser. Yeah. And so when they did that, it caused some um nerve damage. And that was back in the fourth grade. That was like ninety-one, ninety two, I think. Uh yeah. But um I did get uh spinal meningitis from that. But you know, at the time it was cool because like the doctors like brought, you know, Nintendo into the, the <laughs> hospital room for me. Yeah. And I got to meet the Houston Rockets and you know, Curt Schilling, you know, Houston Astros, all these oh, awesome. sports players came in and Olajuwon. Um, it was really cool. So I actually didn't want to leave the hospital and go back home. <laughs> I was like, you yeah, know, hey, hey, hey. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, but later in life, as you were saying, and as we were talking the, earlier in the piece uh, with technology, that technology is the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that sometimes that there is some technology that comes out where, if you don't uh, put a product out that is, um, uh, you know, meant to do what it's supposed to do and work on a consistent basis and work like it's supposed to work, mm-hmm. uh, bad things can happen with uh, gait deviation. That's the biggest thing as far as like, um, you know, being an active amputee. You want to make sure your gait is good. You want to make sure you have a neutral spine. Right. Uh, you're stretching. Uh, you're doing all these other things. And so, uh, just kind of, you know, going through that process, um, later, that brings me to the third point where in my life, where I like actually felt, uh, physically disabled. I didn't feel physically disabled prior. Um, but I did feel physically disabled from the things that happened to my back later in life, but then I became empowered again, back through sport and back through, uh, Get involved with the adaptive community and yeah. uh, talking with people and just um setting some goals and putting my energy and my focus in places and yeah and, and like speaking
0: that. of your your focus in places didn't weren't you involved with um that documentary um uh 10 soldiers
1: yeah uh that's uh, Ben Duffy and uh Mike uh, Sasano shout out to those guys um, I
0: mean that was a pretty remarkable uh endeavor. I mean, I've seen uh many clips. Um
1: so that clip of me breaking uh, the car my my car window, that was not staged because like, you know, I have some friends They'll so watch it. It's available uh here we go with the plug. Right. Uh, Hulu, go for it. Uh, Netflix, any uh you know, iTunes any platform you can watch it. Yep. 10 Soldiers. 10 Soldiers. Uh, to my guys uh Ben Duffy and Mike Sasano for, you know, doing that and all the participants that were in the movie. But yeah, so I locked my keys in the car. And we were doing, um, I had a nonprofit organization where I was like, really trying to get amputees out and networking with each other and going out in public. Because you really don't see a lot of us like, out in public, if you're ever out together. Sure. So uh, I was like, hey, let's do this. And so with 10 Soldiers, it was all right, uh, we're documenting this experience. And I was going through some issues with my left foot um, where I lost feeling in my foot because of my spine. Right. And so they had to read part of my heel. And so it was kind of weird, like watching it, like actually grow back. Uh It was kind of a pretty gnarly uh, process to, to, to watch. But uh, yeah, in the movie, um, you know, I took my leg and I locked my keys in the car and I used to, you know, have the, I forget what they're called, lanyards, and, you know, always uh, keep them there. But, yeah, we couldn't get in the car, so I took my leg off and uh, multi-use tool I best in the back window and uh, <laughs> just put my leg on. And then we went out and did an uh, adaptive uh, wheelchair basketball clinic that day um, in Houston, and uh, rest in peace to my friend uh, Alton Ford. He used to play for the Houston Rockets and the um, Los Angeles Lakers yeah. and Phoenix Suns. Uh, his wife, uh, Victoria, but uh, yeah, Alton passed away from cancer. But yeah, he came out to that camp and, um, you know, it was really great uh, experience.
0: Yeah, if you can, if you can check that out, it's, it's really something, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's on multiple platforms, 10 soldiers. Um, now, I know that you had a relationship with uh, Bobolat as well. And um, can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that as far as how that materialized and, and what that was like, you know, as far as representing them?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, Babylon is, uh, or Babylon, people pronounce it different ways. Yeah, you know, um, I noticed that.
0: Companies. I actually noticed that online. It Everyone pronounces the name of that company different. And I think it, it, that's because it's a French company, correct?
1: Yeah, some people will be like uh, Babylonot or Babelot, or, you know, Babeloff. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes, uh, French company, eighteen uh, seventy-five. uh, right. they started getting things going with tennis strings. And just as, uh, one of those, um, you, you know, you never know when you'll need this useful nugget of knowledge, but, and creating tennis strings, um, they were really the, they were the first company that created natural gut, uh, tennis string, um, you know, from the cow and, so what they did is they uh, they called it VS, right? Okay. And so they took you, you have to picture the alphabet, A through Z. And so they were like testing each individual, uh, you know, tension and whatnot. So they started with A and they got all the way to the letter V. And then they found uh, that that level of uh, tension and strain uh, was superior. So they call it VS. And so it's VS superior. Um, and so that's why they call, you know, the, the natural gut string, um, Babylon VS touch or Babylon VS team. Okay. It's a, you know, the natural, uh, yeah, it's the best, uh, natural gut string out there. Makes sense. Um, but so I got, I got involved with them, and it was kind of like right place, right time with everything. I just put myself out there. Uh, when I was competing, I was already using the products and uh, I was just sitting with a buddy of mine one day and we were kind of like talking about like, okay, well, how do I want to market myself? Cause I'm really going to give it my all here. And I know physically that I'm only going to be able to perform at the certain level, because that's one thing people don't understand. Like with adaptive sports that, um, sometimes you get the misconception like with there's some amazing phenomenal athletes all around the world right we're great so sometimes people get your expectations you know where you can go to the the roof you know but so with Babylon yeah just getting involved with them I went to my tennis store uh one day uh bracket pro and Webster and ran into my now good friend Jason and um you know kind of told him a little about my story and then they put backing behind me And, and then I started to get more involved with the company and then they endorsed me, sponsored me as an athlete. And, uh, you know, that feeling for me, you know, in the beginning, it was kind of one of those, like, are you just giving this feeling or are you just giving this, you know, to me because you, you, you know, kind of feel bad or is it like a trick, but they like talked to me and said, no, you know, Hey, we think you're a great athlete. So it really helped my confidence as well as a, as a person. Yeah and being able to project that as well uh, to the company. So um, it, I mean, yeah, they're, you know, the, the, the best. uh, Well, I think it,
0: uh, I think it shows how humble you are, you know, to, to go to that place mentally, you know, you're, you're a phenomenal individual, you know um, yeah, I just uh, it's, it's a remarkable story. Something I have enjoyed following and reading about, And I'm so excited, you know, for what life has in store for you, um, you know, moving forward into the future, you know, Jeff, um, I know I'm not alone when I say thank you for your advocacy, for your ability to reach out to the community and help as many people as you possibly can. Um, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us today. So, um...
1: Thank you, too, man. You're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. It takes a lot of us out there. And so, you know, hopefully everyone can get out there and work together and continue uh, moving up the ladder.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, we've got lots more stories coming. And what I'm hoping is that, you know, you and I can revisit in the future and, uh, you know, keep this momentum going and keep highlighting people like yourself so that we all have sources of inspiration. So I want to thank our audience for tuning in today. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up 211 podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we'll see you next time.